Du lytter til en podcast fra Free Observer. Du kan se videoversionen af denne podcast på freeobserver.org. Free Observer er til dig, som ønsker en ærlig, åbensindet og undersøgende medieplatform, uden tabuer og uden anden dagsorden end uafhængig videnskab og fri debat. Vi tilstræber at skabe dialog om menneskelige og samfundsmæssige forhold og give plads til magtanalyse og magtkritik. God fornøjelse. Today I'm particularly pleased because we've managed to get um, a formidable woman who I've been following for a period of time to come and talk to us about some uh, pretty profound uh, subjects and topics uh, which we both feel are very prevalent in what's going on in the world today in numerous different ways, both politically, but, uh, but also in terms of uh, the spiritual uh, developments that are taking place. And, and I dare to say awakening that might be occurring in the world. Um, Eben uh, Tanholm is a theologian by training. She um, is a very active journalist who writes uh, articles in uh, some of the most respected uh, Danish broadsheet newspapers. She's done a variety of uh, radio programs. She's traveled extensively around the world. And she has a very unique take, um, which I would call modern and very uh, measured um, interpretation of um, religious meaning in a contemporary world. Now, today we're going to focus uh, on the area that I call the polit- political dimension. Um, however, this is one of a series of uh, conversations we're going to be having. Uh, relating to what faith, God, and religion, what those sort of very profound terms mean in our private lives, uh, how we use it, how it's practiced, and what degree of comfort it can give and what what sort of meaning it can attach to events in our lives. Um, So today it's going to uh, be in relation to the circumstances that we find ourselves in today, which I don't think I have to describe to anybody. Um, There's obviously a very profound indeed impact on our lives with the uh, lockdowns and censorship and what else is taking place in the the name of uh, preventing a supposed health crisis uh, from a threat of a pandemic. And this is affecting our economy, our entire political system, our work, our human relations, the daily practices, our minds and our psychology. So needless to say, it's affecting us in many and very profound ways. And this is fairly disconcerting, I think it's fair to say. And um, and we can argue, and many do, that it uh, represents somewhat of an ominous foreboding of a potential future uh, that will obviously affect our privacy It's already having an impact on our rights, our freedoms, both physically and in terms of expressing opinions, and with regards to our democracy. And on that very happy note, <laughs> let me introduce you to Eben. So Eben, your CV is so extensive that I probably missed out an enormous amount. So if there's anything that uh, you feel that I missed out, please uh, please fill in. But uh, But to the extent that uh, that you are happy with it, uh, welcome. 
Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for, for volunteering to participate in, in, in what would be, I think, a super interesting range of different things. So let's jump straight into it. Um, I mean, we've got some technical problems, so you can only see even, and that's the way it is. Um, anyway, she's far more interesting to look at than I am, so that's good. Um, we'll fix that for next time. But if we, if we plunge straight into it, uh, right from the top with a helicopter perspective, and then, then we'll go into details, just explain to us how you see the world at the moment. What, what is it that we are going through and what is it we are experiencing? Well, I don't think you can understand what's really going on in the world today if you don't see it from a spiritual aspect. Because if you look at the crisis, the corona crisis, uh, the pandemic, the only thing we are not talking about is the spiritual dimension of this crisis. We only talk about wash your hands, use hand sanitizers, keep your distance, the lockdowns, everything that is physical, everything that is economical, and everything that has to do with our daily lives. But we don't have a conversation about the real problem of this crisis, which is, I think, is fear. Because Everybody is very, very fearful. And that's why we have the lockdowns. Everybody is afraid of death. So I think that the, the, the center of this whole crisis is actually the fear of death. And that's the only thing we don't talk about. The other day I came across um, some historical sources concerning um, the Roman Empire in the second century, where they had a big plague that hit the whole society and a lot of people died. And it was very interesting to read about because um, in, the focus was on the Christians in Rome, which uh, who were at that time quite persecuted. Um, still, there were the big persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire. But nevertheless, when the plague hit, the Christians were out in the streets to care for the dying people. Because, of course, the Romans were very afraid of, of you know, getting this, this, um, this disease. So whenever somebody was sick, they just put them out into the street and they could just die on their own. And the Christians, they, um, they had some kind of compassion. They couldn't just look at people dying in the streets all alone. So they went out to care for these people. And uh, they, they, were, they were free to move around because they did not have the same fear of death because they believed in eternal life. They believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they were completely convinced that when they were going to die, they would meet their savior and they would have eternal life. And actually it turned out that the mortality rate amongst, amongst those Christians were lower than the uh, uh, society in general. That was quite well, interesting. <laughs> so, so it means that they were fearless. They didn't have the same fear of death. In the modern secular society, I think uh, we have no answer to what's happening after we have died. We don't believe in afterlife. I mean, we're told that when you are dead, there's nothing more. So you need to really to live to the, to, to, the, to the maximum when you are in this life. You cannot lose one day because when it's over, it's over. And of course, if you think that your lifespan, your lifespan is quite short, of course, the government can tell you um, that we need to lock down the whole society. We need to put all these restrictions because otherwise we're all going to die. Mm. So I think, we have a, I think we have a spiritual crisis because if everybody believed in afterlife, they would say, yes, sickness, diseases, uh, things like that. Suffering is part of this life. This is actually what the Christian theology says. You know, it is unavoidable that 
we're going to have suffering in this life. But fortunately, we have this, you know, really strong faith that when we die, we will live forever. And I think that would change a lot. And I don't think that we were, um, as nations, so easily manipulated if we had that strong belief in something higher than the government and the state. But right now, we think that if we follow the restrictions by our governments, we will live forever. And if we have the vaccines, which I think is now turning into a new sacrament, yes, that I we agree. think we're going to, that, that, that we live forever. And there are certain rituals now, and you see people, you know, getting the jab on TV and, and, and you know, presidents and, you know, people who are in charge uh, of us. Um, so it's like a sort of, you know, a new sacrament where we have the kind of belief in it, like it was eternal life, the, 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 the doorway to, to eternal life. And in I think UK, is, this is... In, in the UK, they're uh, even yeah. doing it in some of the big cathedrals. I mean, it's like a whole exactly. ceremony. Exactly. And actually, the organ is playing. And meanwhile, yes. people are getting the jab. Yeah, yeah. I saw. I think it was in. I think it was in Salisbury a Cathedral. I saw some 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 images from there, yeah. and it was just. I mean, you know, it was really. It was clear that uh, the the whole reaction to the pandemic is turning into a religious cult, and I think it is. And I think it is. So now you have to do whatever your government tells you to do because otherwise you will die. But if you listen to them, you're going to live. This is, you know, the way that they are trying to program our brains right now to believe that they hold the door to eternal life for you when you get the vaccines or you do whatever they tell you to do. So it means that they can introduce a totalitarian society because we don't have an existential and religious conversation about death and, you know, what is something that we cannot avoid in this life. We all know for sure we're going to die. The, the big question is, is there a life after death? And we don't have that conversation. And, you know, coming back to the historical sources in the Roman Empire, I also learned that Christian theologians and even philosophers, Roman philosophers, they had a conversation about death mm -hmm. and whether there was an afterlife during this uh, pandemic in the uh, Roman Empire in the second century. We don't have that discussion. I haven't seen any intellectuals, even priests and bishops, who has you know, started this conversation and say, well, should we really be so afraid? Should we really have such a high level of fear uh, controlling our society? Because if you look to the media, it has all been fear-mongering, fear, fear, fear. And, and first, we had to lock down society because you know, that, that the uh, national health services were going to break down. Mm -hmm. Then it was that you had to flatten the curve. Now we are afraid of mutations and it will, you know, keep going on and on and on. Oh, because yeah, it's I, a perpetual hamster wheel running. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that, that they want to introduce a new economical, social and political order. But let's completely in a new structure. And let's, but, let's but, leave that but, one for now. Because yes, but I think, I think yeah, but I, if, but I think that the most important thing is that the reason why it's possible is because people have lost faith in eternity, in God, in, in hope, love, and faith, because we have, you have, I mean, we have um, abandoned uh, the Christian way of life and the spiritual way of life for decades. And now, because people are spiritually dead, they can introduce 
this kind of fear and they can change society by you know making us really afraid of dying which of course we are if we have no hope in some kind of life after death there are so many things in what you're saying i mean i knew this was going to be one fascinating deep diving both intellectually spiritually and and societally so i mean there's a, there's a number of points that you mentioned that that i think are uh, really observant and and i agree wholeheartedly with I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, what we are seeing is a, a supplementation or a replacement, if you like, of an authoritarian, uh, top-down, hierarchical um, church, as we've known it, obviously, in the Middle Ages and, and in other circumstances too, uh, which creates a sort of religious manipulation um, that supplements a uh, what you would call a real religious truth. So, so what we have, as you say, is all these sort of uh, pretend symbolic gestures and arguments being made for introducing effectively through, well, it's not even through the back door, it's pretty blatant, isn't it? Um, politically authoritarian um, uh, regimes, if you like. But, but, but taking one step back to some of the first things you say, first of all, I mean, it's, it's funny regarding literature and, and history, there's been such a revival of, of old texts. I mean, even the, even the Greeks um, uh, under Pericles had a plague and, and that, that whole story has suddenly also been revived and everybody suddenly started reading Camus again and the plague, Decameron, uh, Huxley and Orwell suddenly picked off the shelves again. So uh, maybe, maybe there is a, um, maybe there is a kind of both intellectual and also understanding of, of where we are, what it means to be a human, what's, what our roles in society is, how, how societies ought to be shaped and so on and so forth. But, but the last point, and, the, and this I think is, is crucial, uh, is that we, all this has been enabled by the fact that we are in a spiritual crisis, like you said, this is so true. But I have a slightly, um, I wouldn't say it's more disconcerting, but a slightly different angle. Yes, I think people are lacking uh, an understanding of the afterlife of some sort, but I think it's really the current life that's the problem. It's as if, you, we, you and I talked about this before we started recording, it's as if there is a, life has lost its meaning in the, in the contemporary, in the current life, there is uh, there's no greater meaning attached to it. You just go to work, get your grades so you can get a certain job, and then you spend X amount of hours commuting to and from work. Well, not these days, we don't. But it's become very materialistic. I mean, you, yeah, absolutely. you had some really interesting um, observations on that front as well. I think that's... it, and, and to get an appreciation of, let's say, life and all its color and multifacetedness and all the expressions of freedom and individuality, which is what I consider deeply spiritual, those are all bulldozed away in a sort of one-size-fits-all, top-down uniformity. Yeah, but I think that if you have been told that there is no God, there is nothing spiritual, uh, you know, only need to get your education 
you need to earn enough money to buy a house and to travel to travel a lot or at least go on some kind of really nice holiday i think you are doing harm to yourself because you're much more than that i mean now i am a christian so i would i would see this in a christian light maybe some of the viewers have different approaches but i would say that man is created in the image of god and it means that you have to respect yourself as the son or the daughter of god because you are created to something you know really um something that really has a purpose because god had a plan by creating you in scriptures it says that god knew you before you were born it means god had an, had an intention with you you're not just somebody who needs to go to work and just earn a lot of money and enjoy your life <laughs> you are cre- you are created because you are created to love god and it's interesting because the first commandment in this 10 commandments is actually uh, you should love god with all your heart this this is the first commandment And well, tell me, how do off, you see that expressed? How how does that express itself in an individual life? Yeah, but the problem is that if you cut off this relationship with God, which mm-hmm. is the source of your life, I mean, this is your creator. God created mm-hmm. you because you are part of His family. But if you cut the ties, if you cut that relationship, you're going to die. I mean, your spirit is crumbling yes. because this is the ultimate source of life. So I mean of course God will always sustain you because you are a living creature and and God is still present even though you don't believe in him because you get everything from him every breath you take is because it comes from God so he's very generous I mean he gives to people that doesn't even believe in him but if you with your free will actually says no I don't want to have anything to do with God as my creator something will happen to your spirit and you will feel this loss of meaning because you were not created just to you were not created just to enjoy yourself you were actually created to worship something higher than yourself you should not be the center of the universe and this is what we have been told now for you know many many years that i am the center of the universe i'm mm-hmm. the center of my, my own universe i set my own rules my own commandments i just create my own life and you have a certain power to do that because god has given you a free will everybody yeah. has a free will and god will never ever impose anything on you because he's love so he wants you to come freely to him and love him and adore him i mean he would never demand you that you do it he would never force you to do it because that is against god's nature but if you don't do it <laughs> you probably feel the consequences because you will be in lack of joy peace and what really could be your you mean your fullest potential if you are the one that god created you to be you will set the world on fire because you have a certain you know a certain um what is the right word yeah the right you have a certain purpose being alive and god has a plan with you and i think that life is to try to sort out what is god's calling Uh, on my life and what is god's plan with my life but god wants cooperation because mm-hmm. he wants you to get to know um, or he wants you to get to to understand what he wants with you and then he wants you to say yes because it's all a matter of free will god gave us a free will so he would have you know certain wishes for you but you have to say yes i want to do that you're free to i mean you're you you're perfectly free to say no god i don't want to follow your way but problem is just because we are in this created world which belongs to god that we will probably uh, end up 
being miserable. Yeah, I mean, you and I are both Danish, so of course, you know, we we sort of breastfed uh, Kierkegaard uh, and Hans Christian Andersen. But turning to the former, uh, I mean, isn't that also? I know there are parts of it that uh, that you have a different view on, but isn't that part of his um, advocacy as well? That you have to celebrate the uniqueness in in each individual. And, and I mean, you put it beautifully before that you know you're you're sort of endowed by God with something unique. So the way I've always understood, uh, let's say, spirituality, I understand it in a um, in a kind of political sense as well, which relates to liberalism, but not liberalism the way it's 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 been conceived of before. But this. Um, this, the celebration of the uniqueness, the individual, that each person has this soul, I guess, or you tell me if, if that's what it is, but that's how I guess I would understand it from the Bible or, or, or from a Christian perspective, um, that you have this soul which, which is uniquely endowed and it needs to be fed and nourished. Um, and once you realize this, rather than settling for what the prevailing discourse tells you, you're so much stronger. And these are some of the things I would love to explore with you and, and hear your opinion on. How, how do we find these? How do we discover these? You, you talked about a co-creation with God. I think that's, that's very interesting. Is that through prayer is it through practices is it through a community is it through looking deep inside is it through testing different things how 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 do you see we i mean, I mean this is also in relation to to contemporary life i mean how do we fight what's going on how do we how do we create some freedom from from the imposition of authority first of all i want to say that you're so right that everybody is unique um, I mean, there are not two people who are the same yet. I mean, of course, we have similarities because we're in the same family. But still, I mean, God created us with a certain personality and there will never be and has never existed anybody like you. You're just unique. Mm -hmm. That's true. So life is also about discovering this uniqueness and to know exactly how I mean, what kind of talent get, did God give me to help others? Because we're not here just for our own sake. We are here to, to, you know, to bring joy and help to other people with our talents. So you can, you can start to be part of something bigger if you discover what kind of talents you have and you want to give that to other people. So I think that we're always, I mean, God never gives a, a gift that is not, you know, for, um, for the benefit of many people. For instance, if uh, somebody give, is given a big gift uh, within the church, for instance, the gift of prophecy or whatever, it would be for the benefit of many people, not, for this, not just for this particular person. So when we are talking about God, we are all uh, sharing something. But still, I have my own individuality and I have my own uniqueness, which I can, you know, so I can be a, a blessing to other people. I mean, that's basically the whole idea is that if I develop my full potential, I can really be something that other people can find very helpful and, and other people, I can spread a lot of joy. So, but, but, but I think that the, 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 the way to discover who you really are is always done in some kind of relationship. You can never just sit just all alone and think about 
who am I? You need to go out and meet other people. And of course, the ultimate source of relationship is God, because God is the one that created you. So he knows things about you that you don't know yourself. You know, for instance, since I am a Catholic, I go for confession. And um, confession is a very, very interesting thing, because sometimes, because I do believe that it is the spirit of God that helps the priest when I go for confession to, um, to, to understand what to say to me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have, you know, this priest, for instance, if I go for confession in a different country than my own, for instance, when I've been traveling, the priest would say something about me that he could not know at all because he doesn't know who I am. He never seen me before. And that's because God is revealing things about our personality and our actions because he sees, you know, the deepest uh, reasons in our hearts sometimes. So if you go, for instance, to a psychologist, uh, you might be able to analyze yourself and, and, and know a lot about yourself. But there are things in our heart that we don't understand because we can be a mystery even to ourselves. So because God is the ultimate truth, you have to connect with God to know the full truth about you. And I think that is best done in a dialogue with God. Let's say prayer. So if you start to pray to God, you can, you can present, I mean, what you want to say to him. You can praise him, but you can, also, you can also be thankful, grateful for what he has given you, that you have food in your fridge and you have, a roof over your, you have a roof over your head, things like that. But you're also, of course, allowed to say to God, this is something I'm really struggling with. I want you to help me. Show me the truth. And prayer is not only about presenting your problems to God. It's also about listening. That's why obedience is one of the the things that are very important if you enter monastic life. It's not about just, you know, you know, just following orders. It's about obedience is about listening to God. So you have this kind of humility that you let God speak to you. And God might say something to you that you get very surprised about. But you have to think about maybe he's right. (laughs) Maybe this is the problem with me. I haven't thought about that. Maybe I should try something else here. So this conversation with God is always very sweet and he's, he's very kind and he's very loving because he wants the best for you. After all, God is the one that loves you the most. There's nobody on earth that love you, loves you as most as, as there is nobody on earth that loves you the same way that God does. This is, so, this it's, is, yeah. so, it's, it's, so if you want to know who you really are, you have to start, you know, to be in a conversation with God. Mm-hmm. Because okay. because he knows you better than yourself. Yeah, I it, it, it's interesting because I mean I, when I've spoken to um, uh, to to priests or uh, people who um, who are let's say spiritually very astute, they always uh, they always smile, they're always very calm, and then they say, but they you know just ask, ask like you would uh, ask your best friend for help. You know, a best friend or a parent is there non-judgmentally, all compassionately, um, lovingly. And uh, there's nothing uh, you can have done, said or thought that they are not somehow willing to forgive or at least to help you. And I thought it was so beautiful. And sometimes we forget that and we get um, we become very embarrassed when we talk about that, when we use these terms. And, and it's so curious um, that we've become so distant from it. But, but let me just, I mean, I think you're right, this thing about prayer and um, 
you know, the priest has a sort of, let's say, intuitive reading uh, when you confess. I mean, we see this, I suppose, in, in different settings uh, with astrologers who are, who are um, extremely gifted. Uh, it could be a spiritual healer. I also see it in personal coaches. I mean, there is this whole uh, movement uh, of, of personal coaches. And I always used to be sort of very dismissive of this and thought it was just a strange, silly American money-making phenomena. But actually some of these people are profoundly um, competent and they are all astrologers or believing in astrology and they're all very spiritual. And they all, when you speak to them privately, and these guys are coaching, you know, people whose names we would instantly recognize from the headlines in the newspapers and the news. And they will, they're saying uh, uh, without the flicker of an eyelid that, uh, that they are communing with uh, something else that gives them intuitive insight. We know this from meditation. I mean, I, I, I learned to meditate uh, some years ago and it's one of the most impactful things that I've done. And sometimes in silence, you, you find the answers to, to so many things. But taking, uh, taking, taking uh, a step a little bit, um, I don't know if it's forward or back, but going back to what's going on in the world, like you, we've been speaking about good and evil. So tell us again, how, you, how do you see these forces that are taking place right now? What is it? In religious terms, where are we? I see that everything that is human and what is normal for human beings to do has been, is either forbidden or we are told is very dangerous. And I mean that it's just to have a normal relationship with your neighbor and your family. We're told that this is very dangerous and we should keep away from it. And that is, you know, for sure that people would die spiritually if they don't start to reconnect with each other and hawk and, you know, do what human beings are doing and getting close. Because right now everybody is isolated and that is like hell. I mean, hell is actually where everybody is isolated and nobody help the other one. This is hell. So we are creating hell on earth to save ourselves from dying. I mean, it's totally absurd. It's absurd. We have to, so we have to die spiritually and humanly. I mean, like we, we have to die from our normal society to, to stay healthy and to avoid dying. So it's, it's completely absurd. And it's evil because it's everything that is God-given, which is community, which is love, which is, you know, to be connected with other people has been taken away from us. So it is a very, very... A evil attack on humanity, uh, globally speaking, uh, because we are not allowed to be just normal human beings. And I think that is because right now we are developing a view on man that is that you're nothing more than a germ. You're just, you know, a disease carrier. You're not, you know, a child of God. You're not created in the image of God. You're just a germ. You're just a bag. You're just some kind of bacteria. And that can, you know, uh, contaminate other people. It, it's, it's, it's even worse than the idea of, uh, you know, being extremely sinful and we're going back to the Middle Ages and all these things. Now, every, we can't even come together because we're just germs. Mm. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, su it's such a negative, uh, demonic way of looking at man. 
that you are so, you just, I mean, you just worth nothing. I mean, and you have to wear a mask. So you cannot even express your uniqueness. You can't even smile to other people. I mean, this is really very, very evil because what is evil? Evil is actually when you're trying to destroy or, you know, pervert everything that is given by God and which is good. So we're seeing a, a, a total perversion yeah, that we're trying to, you know, to make people uh, stay healthy and, and trying to avoid death by, I mean, perverting everything we have been given as social human beings. That's it's, absolutely it's, it's, the right word. I mean, it's, it, 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 is, it is perverted. It's perverted that we are going through this, which mm -hmm. is kind of hell on earth, to, I mean, to, to be healthy and to avoid dying. This is very demonic, very diabolical in my perspective. And because it, to it, live what kind of life? And this comes back to the spiritual crisis. I mean, if this yeah. is the life you want for the sake of staying alive, yeah, 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 that, that, that is, and, 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 and this is the big deception is yeah. that we can live like that to avoid death. Mm -hmm. And that's why I started out with saying, let's say everybody had still been a very strong Christian culture and we believed in afterlife and paradise and eternity. We wouldn't accept this. We wouldn't say no, no, no. Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the only thing that is for sure in your life is that one day you're going to die. Everything else, you don't know anything about that. But you know you're going to die. That's part of life. It's part of life here on earth that we have this passage, which is death to eternal life. So you cannot avoid that. But now we are sort of building up a kind of narrative that we can avoid that if we do what the governments are telling us and if we get uh, the vaccination. And that's a complete lie. You don't know if you're going to die tomorrow because, you, because of something else. So life is risky, yes. Life is risky. But I think that the governments are, are very manipulative because they know that everybody has lost their um, connection with God and they're very afraid of dying and they have nothing to hold on to. And now people are even getting lonely as well because they don't see anybody. And this is the way to destroy your spirit and destroy your life. So in the end, I think we're going to see a lot of suicide. But so people, are. Are, are, so I mean, people are going to die anyway. They're exploding I, across Europe. I mean, it brings tears to my eyes, even, even saying it. And I don't know, sometimes you read the newspapers or you hear the news where they say, um, uh, ICU uh, units are, are reaching capacity, which we all know is complete nonsense. Uh, I mean, in the UK, it's because all the nurses have been sent home because of an infection that doesn't make them sick. And, but let, without even getting into that. Um, so on, on, on one hand, you are, you are claiming to do something for the collective good by sacrificing the individual good. But the way it's been presented is that living and celebrating and flourishing as a happy, loving individual is now considered a death sentence for others. Exactly, exactly. And, Talk about and, absurdity. And this is a complete delusion. And that is a big lie. And it's such a manipulation. Um, only because they, they keep, you know, steering up fear. And uh, I think there is a reason why you find the line, do not fear. I think it's 365 times in scriptures. 
Do not fear because the fear is the root of everything evil. If you start to fear and you lose the faith, uh, it's very, it's very easy to destroy you. So I think the only way we can come out of this crisis is that we take the first step and that is to get rid of that fear. And we can only do that if we reconnect with God, who is, you know, all powerful, who is eternal. We can only, only if we are allies with God in this, in this, in this attack on humanity, because I think it is a very, very evil, powerful attack on humanity in general. And I'm, I'm very concerned about the young people. I saw today on the news that now when they're going back to school, they're going to be tested twice a week and they're going to wear, of course, the face mask in the classrooms. Can you believe growing up, you know, where you don't see people smile, you wear a face mask, you have to go through this test twice a week. What kind of self-understanding are you going to get? And you constantly feel that you are a, a, a disease carrier or exposed exactly. to you, other disease you, carriers. You are nothing more than a germ and you're dangerous to other people. How would those young people, you know, create communities? Mm. I, you know, it is a disaster. It's, it, it is a catastrophe. And somebody should stop it and say, we're not going to comply anymore because this, this, is, going to, this is going to ruin, to ruin our lives. And I, you know, I don't understand how our leaders, they, you know, there have been so many uh, people from children's organizations that have been calling out and say, we see a lot of depression and anxiety and young people, even children, they're really, really uh, not very good with this. And then I heard our prime minister here in Denmark say the other day when she was uh, giving a talk that, I want to thank you, uh, you all young people and the children, because you have done so well, she said. But that was a lie, because they're not doing well. Here's, here's, <laughs> here's the paradox of the irony, and, and I think those are mild terms, um, and I'm trying to contain my language here. She was elected as the children's prime minister. Exactly, yeah. That's a completely, uh, I mean, it's so ridiculous. And here we and, are with what seems to become or developing into a very, very serious mental crisis for the youth for all the reasons that you just outlined. I mean, what I was going to say before regarding the headlines was that you, on one hand, you see, you know, infection rates up by or down by or whatever, it's irrelevant. You just get the daily number um, propagandized um, every second of the day. And then in the same tone of voice, without any irony, uh, the, 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 the broadcaster, the, the, the news speaker, then says, and suicides have gone up by you know, X percent. Hmm. So on one hand, so very quickly, I mean, for many people, they start reflecting, but is the crisis a, a health crisis caused by a germ? And I appreciate if that's the case, of course, you would have to take some, some measures or is it a crisis that's self-created that we have imposed upon people? Mm -hmm. um, but then, so so let's let's um, let's try also and be a little bit, let's say, progressive or optimistic. I mean, you've talked about your relationship with God and how that gives you reassurance, how it provides meaning, and clearly you've got a reading of events that are going on about good and evil. That's that's pretty much the case now and it's universal i mean this is a, 
this applies in every country. So let's just let's just finish on 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 these sort of um, um, on the on the on the religious aspect of of what's going on. I mean, I see you mentioned the vaccine being like a sacrament. I think that's brilliant. Um, I also see almost a level of uh, or a degree of indulgence taking place. So, you know, all the countries are getting themselves up to the hilt to the point where we know it's going to, in some respect, crash the economy. Uh, and the and the indulgences then increase tax. So, you know, you will you will willingly give away more of your economic freedom, not only your health and your mind, et cetera, et cetera, for the sake of salvaging the collective, right? Or wear a mask for other people. Again, it's a form of indulgence. You're buying your indulgence. Here's one thing that really concerns me. It's a trajectory, a recent turn. And it's something I've read in one of the newspapers, actually one of the ones that, that, that you write for. And it is that the government is now offering, uh, let's call it ordinary people, basically anyone, because it doesn't require any training the ability to conduct the tests. So what they are now doing is that, and it's very highly paid, it's like four and a half thousand euros per month that they're going to pay. And I've lived in many countries around the world and, and in Europe, and that's a very high salary in most places, even though it's pretty average in Denmark. But what you are now doing is that you are on one hand, taking away people's economic economic sub, sub, uh, subsistence, right? They're removing their jobs and making it illegal for them to perform their jobs and open their shops. Now you're giving them an opportunity to earn some, some money that doesn't require any training. Those people are now suddenly endowed with a religious fury and self-interest to propagate this doctrine because they're economic well-being depends on it. I mean, this just reminds me, it's almost like a sort of inquisition of where you, they become fervent proselytizers, I'm sure, very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, and you I see think... this with people, like, it's almost like the DDR, where people are snitching on each other. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think uh, that the goal is that we're not going to, own anything anymore and then we're going to be completely dependent on the government uh, for our salaries i think that is the ultimate goal uh, for the socialist governments that that nobody really has any kind of property anymore and and then you have to uh, to be reliant on or dependent on the government for salaries and even right now when we have the lockdowns and and they're going to get the compensations it's a kind of mental training to that people are dependent on the government. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that is a kind of, you know, mind controlling game that and now everybody's looking to the government because they want, of course, compensation because they lost a lot of things and they lost a lot of money. And if I had a shop, I, I, would, I would certainly hope that the government would, would compensate me as well. But that's not the society that we had where we had sort of free enterprise and we had, you know, sort of capitalism, of course, because you could have your run your own shop and you could have your own business. 
I don't think that's going to be possible anymore because we would have these endless uh, lockdowns and then probably there will be regions that are locked down and then other regions would open and then they would lock down and it's going to be endless because you will always have a new mutation. It's, you know, it's, it's endless until people stand up and say, no more, we don't want this anymore. So I think there is a kind of complete control that is being ex exercised now. And you're right, it is a cult. It's turning into something religious. And I see right now, for instance, if you go into a supermarket the other day, somebody, you know, I was not wearing a mask and uh, for health reasons. And then uh, there was an old lady said to me, you should wear a mask. I said, do you work here? She said, no. She said, why do you ask me? Because I could get contaminated by you, she said. Hmm. And I said, you should trust your, uh, your I mean, your, your neighbor or your, your fellow man. Well, I certainly can do that, she said. So that's a very, very unpleasant society where people have absolutely no trust in each other because they're so afraid uh, that the other one is so sinful that they're going to you know, be harmful to them. So you're right. It's, it's a very, very strict um, semi-pseudo-religious system that is being imposed on us. And, and that's very dangerous. Yeah, and I, I guess we're already witnessing it to some extent, but I'm sure it will only increase in severity, uh, which is the witch hunts. I mean, we, we, we all know this again from, yeah. the, from the Middle Ages, which keeps being the reference point um, when we're trying to find parallels to describe what's going on. I mean, history may not repeat itself, but it appears to rhyme, that's for sure. And, uh, and in those cases, you know, I was reading, uh, when, when sort of preparing for this, uh, I was reading about various examples of how this actually took place. And so you, you've, got, uh, you've got a town or a village or whatever it may be. And then you will have a bunch of girls and for a variety of reasons, and it can be virtually anything, but it can just be a rival family within the community. Or it can be a girl who's jealous of one of the other girls. And it gave all these different examples where someone, when the, um, uh, when, the, when, the, uh, when the priests comes to town, they can call out at the public assembly, anyone, and call them a witch or denounce them as a witch. And, um, and there isn't much you can do about it because what happens is that they're taken away and tortured to confess. And of course, under this duress, they, they do confess and then they, they were typically executed or burned, right? But, but what it does is it enables rivalries within a place or it creates artificial rivalries or it enables people who were previously maybe felt overlooked or not as powerful, suddenly you're giving them a very nasty power. And it's not a power of raising one another or contributing, it's one of dividing and limiting. So, I mean, these are very extreme cases and, I, and I'm not trying to argue <laughs> that it's going to go that far, but you can already see those kind of tendencies where people are calling each other out and start self-policing. Exactly. And it just but, you know, it looks I, more, I, I, more I, like I, the DDR. <laughs> but there have been so many occasions just in my little neighborhood here in Denmark where I have experienced things like that. And it is like the DDR. And now I understand, I mean, the, the psychology of totalitarian states. It is that you create this kind of um, what's it called? Not hatred, but 
kind of that everybody is watching each other and mm. they feel that they are obliged to, I mean, to come and tell you what to do. And but to society do. becomes self-surveillancing. You know, the yeah. authorities hardly have to do anything because no, the exactly. public is doing it to itself. So I think actually we're going back to a kind of Soviet Union uh, kind of society that would look more and more like that. And that's just such an absurdity because in the West we have been celebrating liberty, uh, you know, individuality, that we could, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, all these things that are in our constitution of law. And now it's useless because, because of this pandemic, I think most of our constitution of law is now not being respected. Uh, and people accept that because they're so afraid of getting this disease and die, you know, so they don't even care about democracy anymore. And I think actually, I think that we are going to see the end of democracy with this pandemic. And I'm, I'm also quite concerned that a lot of Danes, they do support our prime minister, they do support this totalitarian tendency because they want a strong leader, they want a leader who can tell them what to do and not to do. And I think people, maybe they're just tired of democracy. It, mm. was, it was getting too overwhelming. And I mean, look at it, it was only 150 years and it was the same thing in ancient Greek, or, or Greece. Yeah. Um, and there was a very short time span. So now maybe we're actually going back to something that looks really, really very, you know, depressing because we're going back to some kind of totalitarian uh, society where people are divided into classes mm. and that there will be a hierarchy and there will be the lower classes and there will be the privileged ones and then there will be the government who decides everything and surveys everything. I think that's lovers. what we are. <laughs> so if we're not going to, you know, to counteract right now and wake people up, this is what's going to happen. But it all stems from, to go back to some of your very earliest points, it all stems from this spiritual crisis that yeah. people have lost, lost almost... Uh, the, the, I wouldn't say the will to live, but they have lost their individuality, uh, the sanctity of, um, of, of, of their own life, soul, meaning, yeah. opinion, whatever you want to call it. That's a very good expression. They have lost the sanctity. And you know what? Uh, the Russian uh, author that was in Gulag, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, mm -hmm. he actually wrote one line, I really come back to again and again and again, because in one of his books, he writes that when he was listening to old people discussing how it could end up in this total uh, totalitarian regime in the Soviet Union, they, they keep repeating one line and it was, it all happened because men had forgotten God. It mm -hmm. all happened because, because men had forgotten God. They kept repeating that. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn said himself that when he had investigated and he had been studying for years to trying to sort out how could, you know, the Soviet Union actually happen, he came back to the same line. It was because men had forgotten God. That was the only reason why it could happen, he wrote. And I think he's, he's very right that because if you lost, if you lose your uh, connectedness with God, your understanding of who you are, you lose your soul and your spiritual life totalitarian rulers would move into your life. And one of the reasons, the reason why 
the Christian church has always been the number one enemy of totalitarian regimes is because uh, the totalitarian leaders know that the Christian church enables people not to fear and to be free and understand who they really are. So that's why they have to get rid of the church. First it's of all. funny because most people in, in, in the modern era would think of the church and religion as precisely the opposite. You know, they would think the church being the abusive power, the one that uh, destroys individuality and commands and removes, uh, you know, the, the individual's uh, mindsets and, and, and free thinking and, and rather imposes a singular view. But you, you obviously have a very, very different uh, take on it. Well, seeing from my point of view, it's part of the secular lie that, that we have heard so many lies about the church. Exactly, because that they were preparing for this. So, of course, you had to lie about the church and you had to, you know, falsify history to, to, to make people, you know, go against the church. But if you look at what happened in the DDR um, when it all broke down and the Berlin Wall came down, mm -hmm. it was a very Christian movement. They were gathering in the churches before the whole thing broke down and they were you know, praying and there was a lot of people coming to churches because the church was the only place where you could tell the truth and you could hear the truth. And actually also the Polish people, yeah. they got very much encouraged by Pope John Paul II yeah. who, were, who went on free pilgrimages uh, while he was the pontiff and he always repeated do not fear he said do not fear and in the end like Valesa actually said that this was what made them strong enough to stand up against the Soviet leaders yeah, because they because they were reminded of their Christian identity because Poland used to be a very Christian country and and this Christian identity gave them the strength to understand who they really uh, were so it's all about who am I? Who am I? If you are very, very strong in your, or you're very certain about who am I, and you feel that you are connected with God, I mean, totalitarian regime will have no power over you. And that's why they fear those kind of spiritualities. Yeah, and especially the Christian spirituality. Yeah, and the corollary of that, or, or vice versa, is that, if you are not at all sure who you are, if your individuality or let's say your soul is, uh, is removed or weakened, then you very willingly embrace uh, exactly. any authority exactly. that steps in to make the decisions on your behalf. Yeah, I see. Exactly. It's exactly. So we need to come back to a strong spirituality where we can really understand who we are, where we come from and where we're going. That's very important right now because now it's not, I mean, the first um, totalitarian revolution uh, like 100 years ago, it was about economics. Mm -hmm. But this one is very existential. Yes. It's about the, it is about the fear of death. It's not about money so much. It's about, of course, yeah, they want a new economical structure, but that's only to control you even more or control your spirit even more. Um, so this time it is about something that is spiritual and existential. It's not about money the same way it used to be when you had the Russian Revolution 100 years ago. It was about, you know, how to 
you know, reorganize societies so that the poor ones would get more money, things like that. But that's not the question today. Today, it's about fear. It's about death. It's about life. So it's about who are we? And it's only possible because this is a kind of secular, um, what would you, I mean, it's a kind of triumph of secularism that now we can finally rule people by the fear of death. Yeah, I mean, and, and this leads us to what I what I promised that I was going to do about half an hour ago, which is a more optimistic uh, kind of take on it. Because if that's true, then as we were talking about again before uh, we started this, um, we were talking about how there's always a choice involved, and and I'm I'm really interested to hear this from you from again from a, from a Christian perspective. But there's always a choice involved. Every situation has a potentiality within it. I mean, this is almost quantum mechanics, right? Um, it can go in any direction. It's your consciousness, your engagement, your choosing that directs it. So for all those people who are probably ready to throw themselves off a cliff after listening to this, and in full despair, within this is, as you just said before, a very, very bright light, which is previously, it's been about economic distribution, what kind of political system, you know, all these, I wouldn't call them superficial things, but very material things. And now it's about something very, very profound. It's existentialism, it's religion, it's these foundational things. So yeah, exactly. maybe it takes us to reach an apogee as we are in now in order to claim that soul and that freedom and that expression and realize that true nature and choose the collective in a healthy sense rather than divide for the purposes of a fake collective. How, yeah. how does that work for you? I mean, um, because um, it's also given us this opportunity, you know, we've closed things down. So now people can go inside. They've got time to reflect. They can, as you said earlier, they can pray, or as I said, meditate. To some extent, maybe we just need to surrender to the situation and not fight it where previously it's been all about do, 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 uh, all external action. Now we seem to have come to a sort of very deep knowingness about what the world consists of and what our purpose is and what life is all about. Do, do, do you agree with some of that? And, and is, that, is that the sort of happy note we can take from this if we move it in the dire right direction? It's kind of a rebirth almost. I think that it's very important to, to pray and start to connect with God to relate to God, I think that's very, very important. But I also think that we have a duty to speak the truth. And yeah. uh, we have to get rid of that fear to come out into the streets and tell what is the truth here. Because that's why that's we invited you on this. <laughs> because, because we are we are being told so many lies. And uh, I think people in their hearts, they know it's a lie. 
but they don't really have the courage or the means to go out and speak out. So somebody needs to do it because they cherish it. And I get a lot of, you know, notes from people say, thank you for speaking out uh, because you're just expressing my thoughts. And I think every time, every time we articulate uh, what is the truth, we strengthen people. So that's why we have been given uh, the ability to speak. And I think that the words, words has a power in itself. That's why the Bible really strengthened that you have the ability to bless or to curse. Mm. So the word, the, 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 the word you're speaking has a certain power because words creates worlds. I mean, so you can create a new world by speaking the truth. So that's why we need to, we need to speak out what is the truth. But to know, because we're living in the age of delusion, we're being deceived. We're being deceived all the time. There are so many lies. And even for people who are very skilled in this business, they can be deceived too. So there is a very cunning play going on. And, and I think to, to know what is the truth, of course, we have to relate to the ultimate, ultimate source of truth, which is God. And here I'm speaking about uh, the God of the Bible, because that's the way I see God. God is the one that is, expresses himself in the Bible. So I would say if you have a Bible, uh, you can find it online. You should go and try to read the Bible because these words in the Bible are very powerful. They're very powerful and they have uh, the power to give new life. So the words uh, in scriptures are so strong that they can give new life and they can, you know, expose the truth. And they can also expose the lies, tell the truth and expose the lies. And I think that's what we need. We need to strengthen our inner life by reconnecting with God and understand who we are. What kind of gifts have I received from God that I can use right now? Maybe I'm born exactly uh, in this age because I have something I have to give to other people in this situation. So only by being like you say, meditate, be in silence, praying to God, read scriptures or some other kind of spiritual literature that you like. Uh, to come uh, to a point where you face the truth about your own life, because maybe you need to, to change your life right now. Maybe you're living uh, in a way that's not good for you and, and what you're not meant to do. Yeah. So first of all, we have to clean up our own lives before we start cleaning up other people's lives. So we have to deal with ourselves first. Like for instance, when you are in a, in a kind of uh, plane crash, you also need to put on, the mask uh, on yourself before you put it on your neighbor, <laughs> because otherwise you're going to, to, to maybe lose conscious yourself first. Brilliant analogy. So, I, yeah. so I, I think right now we have to try to ask God, is there something in my life that's wrong and I should, you know, get rid of, am I living the way I should? And then you maybe in that process, you will get, you will, you will be given more strength to speak the truth, maybe just to your friends. Maybe you don't have to go out and, you know, grab a microphone and be on the news. Maybe it's just your own circle of friends, which you can influence. And that's very important. It's very important to influence just, uh, you know, the circle of people around you, your neighbors, your family, whatever, colleagues. And, uh, and then it will spread. So I, th I think we have to really be very careful not to be deluded. And I mean, of course, you have to watch the news to know what's going on and how crazy it is. But I mean, you, maybe even it's, more, it's better just to turn off the television because you only told lies. 
And when you hear that, you might start to believe in it. But of course, you also have to follow what's going on. So, uh, but you have to be very critical, have to be very critical about what you're told on, you know, the normal news networks, because it's just propaganda, in my opinion. And uh, the truth is that if we start to understand that this is evil and that we shouldn't fear death because there is a life after death, things like that, and we are we're destined for a bigger purpose, then I think things will start to change. And that's what we, we need because like we just said before, this is an existential spiritual crisis. It's not a material crisis. It, of course, it has some material consequences because of the lockdowns, but the root of the problem is spiritual. And that's why, I mean, all those things you said, that's why it's so important that there are people like you who uh, courageously stand up and, and, and say these things because I think it resonates. Well, no, I don't think I know uh, because we're being told every day by literally thousands of people, um, some anonymously and, and some with their names attached, but literally thousands of people, how important it is for them to find a sanctuary and it gives them uh, courage and reassurance that there are others. Sometimes just takes one leader to speak the truth and then, uh, and then uh, uh, you get the comfort of knowing that there are others, that you are not alone. Alone is what you are if you follow the propaganda and the doctrine that's being propagated yeah. these days because that is isolating, divisive, fearful and I think that's always the way to look at everything in life whatever anybody is telling you teaching you whatever relationship you have in life with whomever it may be professional or personal it's always you should always think is it raising me is it making my world bigger is it giving me courage support or is it limiting me but I think, I think you're right. I mean, I, I also see this as a sort of gargantuan challenge to each individual to confront them, them, themselves with themselves and, um, and see if they have the, the discipline and the courage and, and, the, and the inner truth to, to stand up and fight for what they know is true and what is mm -hmm. healthy for them. They all know this way of life is not healthy. It's not sustainable. There's, there's no target set with the lockdowns, with how many infections, how many deaths, which is why, as you said right at the beginning, it's, it's indefinite. It's just one after the other. So I think it's like a mirror held up. Again, you rightly said to us each individually saying, is there something inside you you need to fix? At least you find out now, am I in the right relationship? Do I live in the right place? You know, have I got the ability to live with myself? Mm -hmm, exactly, exactly. And if you are, I think if you are following someone else's doctrine that you deep inside know is wrong for you, it's very difficult to live with yourself. Whereas, and this is how I interpret uh, your faith and your relationship with God. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but then correct me. But that is precisely that in silence on my own, I can be fulfilled. I have the most precious thing because I am the most precious. And I have this ability to, to communicate with, 
my, my creator, if you like, something that's bigger mm -hmm. than just me. I think with time, if you spend time with God, you will get so absorbed with him. So you will find him more interesting than yourself <laughs> because, <laughs> because he, he is so, he's so fantastic and he's so beautiful. I mean, God is beauty and, and he has created this universe and he's my creator. So I'm just, I mean, what I really like when I, I come to God is that it makes me humble. Mm -hmm. I think hum I think humility is most one of the most important things that we can achieve in life is to be humble, and especially when we are in front of God, uh, like Moses who had to take off his shoes. I mean, when he was standing in front of God and the the, the burning bush, and and this kind of yeah, that you feel His holiness, that God is holy. He's your best friend, but He's also holy, and He's so much so much stronger and higher than you. And there are things about God you will never understand because you don't have access to that but you can just be sure that he's he really loves you he's he, he really really loves you and he wants to do everything he can to make the best out of your life and that's enough for us and i think to be in that relationship is the meaning of life no, and i don't think i want to say anything more than that today no, I but that's, that's yeah. absolutely i mean that's that's such a beautiful note to finish on i mean we we're going to talk about the divine and how it expresses itself in in, in different ways and, and and how you experience it but i think that's that's just a fantastic note to to end on yeah so i i, so I really think that relationship is the biggest resource in life and And what makes everything meaningful is that you understand that somebody wanted you even before your parents uh, were together. Somebody wanted you in this A meaningful life. resource founded in love. Well, viewers and listeners, <laughs> if you haven't figured out now what the solution and the truth is, then, uh, then you must be either blind or deaf. And with that, Eben, I want to thank you so much for participating in this and hopefully many going forward. I mean, my, my world is definitely bigger after this by some measure. So thank, thank you, you so much. And thank you to all the viewers. Indeed. Du har lyttet til en podcast fra Free Observer. Hvis du ønsker mere viden om Free Observer eller ønsker at foretage en donation, kan du gå til vores hjemmeside freeobserver.org eller følge os på Facebook under Free Observer.